This is the Wealth Ability Show with Tom Wheelwright. Way more money, way less taxes. Welcome to the Wealth Ability Show, where we're always discovering how to make way more money and pay way less taxes. Hi, this is Tom Wheelwright, your host, founder, and CEO of Wealth Ability. So, President Joe Biden is on the warpath when it comes to corporate taxes right now. We'll get individual taxes later. Um, we're, I'm sure we'll get those in the next few months, but right now it's corporate taxes. And you know, there's this big question, are we in a race to the bottom? Is uh, what, What's the impact of corporate taxes on uh, global growth? What's the impact of taxes on US growth? And what's the impact of corporate taxes on the average American? That's an, another big question we have. So we have, uh, we're, I'm very, very excited to have Daniel Bunn, who's vice president for uh, global projects at the Tax Foundation, my favorite think tank when it comes to taxes. And Daniel, um, great to have you. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Thank you. So tell us just a little bit about your background and, and yourself and why we should be listening. Sure, absolutely. Well, um, Tom, as you said, I'm vice president of global projects at the Tax Foundation. I work on all our international projects and a lot of those international projects have things connected to the U.S. tax rules, um, whether those are cross-border rules or domestic rate things. Uh, I've been with the Tax Foundation for a few years. Prior to that, I worked on Capitol Hill. I worked on the Senate side uh, for a few different members, uh, including Senator Mike Lee from Utah and Senator Tim Scott from South Carolina. I also got to work on the Joint Economic Committee. And, you know, on the Hill, tax policy was a lot of fun, um, especially when we got around to tax reform. There was a lot of exciting things going on. Uh, and then uh, since being at Tax Foundation, it's just been uh, an exciting time uh, since then, because there's been this global conversation, as I'm sure we'll get into, about tax reform. And now, uh, you know, the president has a lot of things in mind uh, that he would like to change. And we'll see uh, what actually gets uh, gets enacted. Thank you. Th th thanks, uh, Daniel. So let's start with um, this idea of a race to the bottom. Now, you know, we, we know that prior to 2018, we had a 35% uh, corporate tax rate. And that's, by the way, just to remind everybody, that's on top of the dividend rate, which is up to 24%, and on top of the state rate, which now New York's just raised theirs to 16%. So, you know, we were at a serious disadvantage, clearly serious disadvantage. Plus, we don't have a value-added tax, and the other countries do. So I think that contributes to that disadvantage. And there were a lot of inversions going on, meaning that people were relocating, um, legally relocating their headquarters so that they could take advantage of Ireland and, and other low-tax rate um, countries. Plus, we, we got this new, uh, what we call guilty uh, regime, which allows foreign money, basically, to be repatriated to the U.S. at a fairly low tax rate. So, um, as I understand it from looking at your materials on taxfoundation.org, about $1.6 trillion has been repatriated. So, um, we do know that that's been working to bring money back over. And I know with my own clients that it's been working um, because they do, we do pay attention uh, to these things. So this whole idea of a race to the bottom, I, I don't think we're even close to the bottom. What do you think of all that, Daniel? So there's two things. Um, one, I'm not sure what the, what the bottom is. Um, if the bottom is zero, um, I disagree completely that there's a race to the bottom. There's been a reduction, certainly in the U.S. and around the world, of corporate tax rates. 
um, over recent decades. The trends that we look at show that corporate tax rates, average corporate tax rates have settled uh, in the mid to low 20s. Um, so the U.S. isn't so far out of line there, including state rates. Um, but as you mentioned, you got to think about dividend rates as well. But also, if the bottom is the mid-20s, then we're, we're there. What's the, what's, the, what's the issue? But also, there's been this weird distinction that has arisen. It's not really weird. There's some motivations behind it between taxing certain types of corporate income versus other. Um, so a lot of countries have adopted these things called patent boxes that provide low rates on uh, profits from intellectual property and software and things like that. And sometimes these rates are in the you know, single digits. And that's, you know, there's justifiable reasons for that. I, I'm not a huge fan of them, but they're justifiable reasons for those policies. But I really don't agree with this kind of general race to the bottom. I think corporate rates have stabilized in recent years in the low to mid 20s. And I think that's fine. Uh, a lot of countries have changed the way their corporate tax bases work, and we haven't seen a huge drop-off in corporate tax revenue. Certainly with the U.S. reform, the transition to the new system, there's going to be a drop-off in corporate revenue, but I don't think that's going to be a long-term consequence. So, so basically what I'm hearing is that there are really two things going on. One is broadening the base. In other words, what's taxable? And, and then the question is at what rate it's taxable. But the real question is, is why should the average person care? I mean, if you're talking about like the small entrepreneur, the, the entrepreneur or the investor, typically they've got pass-through entities and so forth. Why does you know, isn't this just a tax on rich people? I mean, that's kind of how it's being promoted by the Democrats. So how is this, how does this affect the average person and, uh, and their well-being? I think that's a great question. And this has been debated by economists for decades. This is the incidence question. When you tax something, where does the economic harm occur? We know that taxes are distortive. High marginal tax rates create deadweight loss. That's the way economists talk about it. And the deadweight loss, who bears that burden? Is it rich shareholders? Is it the executives of the corporation? Or is it the workers? And generally speaking, economists have kind of agreed to disagree in some senses and say, maybe, maybe it's a 50-50 split. Maybe half the share is on workers, half the share is on shareholders. And then there's the question of, well, if that's the case, then why are we looking at corporate taxes in a context of you know, the economic context we're in right now where we won't get people back to work, we want the economy to reopen, we want businesses to invest, why high taxes now when we know at least some portion of the corporate tax is going to fall on workers? In our model, uh, our tax foundation macroeconomic model, we look at the effects of a tax hike from 21% to 28%. And that tax hike alone, we know that's not the only thing in Joe Biden's plan, uh, but that tax hike alone, that's going to impact 159,000 jobs um, and shave off a full percentage point from economic growth um, over the long time, the, the level of GDP over the long term. And I think those are things that you know people are just ignoring at this moment. So, of course, the other thing, of course, that we know is that most people have their savings in their 401k. And those 401ks are almost 100% invested in the stock market, which is corporate taxes. So, so to me, it seems a little disingenuous to say, well, this doesn't affect, you know, it just affects the corporation when corporations aren't people, right? So either the shareholders pay the tax, the workers take, pay the tax, or the executives, like you say, the executives pay the tax. And I don't think any of us 
would complain a whole lot is that if the executive is making $20 million a year, made a little bit less, I think we'd be okay with that. The challenge is that they're making the decisions tends not to come off the, <laughs> tends not to come off the top. And that's a, another challenge, of course, with hiking corporate tax rate is who really is making the decision. And then let's talk about this next question, which when we had high corporate rates prior, we found a lot of companies, particularly um, high-tech companies, pharmaceutical companies, that would basically do these inversions, which is effectively a, is a fancy name for saying, we're just going to relocate our company overseas and have our headquarters be overseas, even though we do business in the U.S. Do you think that going to a 28% rate on top of the change to the, 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 the guilty tax regime, which is this uh, tax on foreign earnings, do you think that's going to have an impact on that situation? Are we going to get corporations going back to doing inversions? So I think that would be the case if those were the only two things that were happening, hiking the corporate rate and increasing the guilty rate. The administration announced another policy that would hurt inbound companies, company foreign companies that would be investing in the U.S., denial of deductions unless their country uh, had a similar minimum tax. And what this means there's an effect not only on U.S. companies when they're doing business abroad, a higher tax on their foreign earnings, but a higher tax on the earnings of foreign companies when they're doing business in the U.S. So if you are a multinational and you have the U.S. as part of your business plan, either because your customers are here or there's a manufacturing facility here for customers elsewhere, this plan is going to impact you whether you're a U.S. company that has that part of has the U.S. as part of your supply chain or whether you're a foreign company as part of the supply chain. I, I think it's going to be a real, real impact on businesses that would be otherwise thinking of doing business in the U.S. So do you, do you think that's just going to impact higher prices or we just won't get them doing business in the U.S.? I mean, is it bad to I mean, we've had some you know, talk, I mean, really some action over the last several years, a little protectionism. Is this more just more protectionism for the U.S.? I think that's a good name for it. Protectionism in the sense of, you know, these aren't, these aren't your old school capital controls. We're not saying, you know, if you invest in the U.S., we're not going to let you get your money out of the U.S. But we are saying that if you have the U.S. as part of your multinational supply chain, you're going to have a pretty big tax burden on doing business in the U.S. There's still free movement of capital, but a pretty high tax burden on the investment in the U.S. And I don't think that you're going to get full-on capital flight where people are going to avoid the U.S. completely. We're still going to have pretty significant markets for people to sell into and things like that. But I think on the margin, if you're a company and you're thinking, oh, we need North America in our supply chain, um, are we going to be in Canada, the U.S., or Mexico? The U.S. is going to look pretty unattractive in that scenario. Hey, if you like financial education the way I do, you're going to love Buck Joffrey's podcast. Buck's a friend of mine. He's a client of mine. He's a former board certified surgeon and he's turned into a real estate professional. So he has this podcast that is geared towards high paid professionals. That's who he's geared towards. So if you're a high paid professional, you're going, look, I'd like to do something different with my money than what I'm doing. I'd like to get financially educated. I'd like to take control of my money and my life and my taxes. I would love to recommend Buck Joffrey's podcast, which is called Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. I hope you join Buck on this adventure of a lifetime.
let's talk about this minimum tax um, because I, I want to be um, I want to be really clear if we can because this has been a very difficult thing for people to understand. There's really two different terms. One is a minimum tax rate, and the other is a minimum tax. So a part of the proposal, as I understand it from uh, President Biden, is that there's a minimum tax on you know on 50 or basically about 50 com companies, a minimum tax on, on companies that have financial income but don't have taxable income because of course tax defines income, the tax code defines income differently than the accountants define uh, income. So I, I'm just like going nuts over this idea that we're gonna let the accountants, and I'm an accountant, we're gonna let the accountants decide what our tax laws are gonna be. And uh, you know, that, that mixture is, doesn't sit well with me, but are we talking about a minimum, is it the minimum tax? I think what you're talking about though, is the minimum tax rate. Right, so that every country that does business in the U.S., you're saying that what they want is they want to make sure they have a minimum tax rate. Right now, they're saying 15 percent. Right. Well, so let's let's divide these things because I, I get muddled with them as well. Please. And and before we get into them, I mean, how many minimum taxes do you need? Let's just design the real tax the right way, so you don't need these other minimums. All right. So there's the 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 minimum tax on financial profits that you're talking about. That right. they've talked about that as a 15 percent rate to essentially create a tax base that's, I mean, driven by timing differences. Like you talked about the difference between financial profits defined by the accountants and taxable profits defined by the tax, you know, the IRS and the and Congress, then you the difference between those is often about timing, you know, and when you're able to account for profit for tax reasons or accounting reasons. And essentially this minimum tax, I don't think it's great, but it smooths those over and gives you credits for one year or the other. And essentially- And, and this isn't new, tax. right? We've had, we basically had corporate exactly. minimum tax for as long as I can remember. And I can sure. remember a very long time. Uh, we've had corporate minimum tax before. So, and we've done it within the tax law. It seems like we don't really need to do it and compare it to the financial accounting. So let's kind of toss that away because that's just a sure. horrible idea. And let, let's talk about this minimum tax rate for the countries that are selling or doing business in the US. Right, so the Biden administration has proposed a 21% global minimum tax rate. So for US companies, if you're doing business abroad, they're going to calculate this on a country by country basis to make sure you're paying up to a 21% rate and if you're paying below that, let's say you're in Ireland and you're paying a 12.5% rate, well, the U.S. is going to tax the difference between 21 and 12.5. And in fact, it's not just about U.S. companies doing business abroad. I already mentioned that it's about foreign companies doing business here. The U.S. is, the Biden administration is proposing that if another country doesn't have a similar global minimum tax, that if that, you know, let's say a German company, let's say BMW is doing business uh, in South Carolina, where I'm from, um, and Germany doesn't have a minimum tax on its companies doing business abroad, then the U.S. would say to, you know, that that company uh, in, you know, BMW in South Carolina say, hey, we're going to exclude some deductions. We're going to wipe out some of your deductions. We're going to make sure um, that you are taxed, you know, more heavily uh, than you otherwise would be unless Germany adopts this minimum tax. And the, the example breaks down a little bit because Germany does have a relatively high uh, combined corporate rate, but that's kind of the example. 
Well, so but but Ireland, that's a really good example of Ireland. Oh, exactly. Right? Because exactly. they have a they have, you know, they're traditionally a tax haven, 12 and a half percent. Um we have this famous case uh or infamous case, if you will, with the EU trying to tax, put extra tax on Apple, um, that you know, their 14 billion dollar assessment because Apple only paid a 12 and a half percent rate, and they're saying, Well, no, that's too low for the EU. So you know, there's this whole thing going on. Is it but isn't this minimum tax, isn't that really the same effect that we have in the states where you're taxed in your home state, for example, um, in basically if you have two states with different tax rates, where you earn the income versus where you where you live, uh, you're going to pay the higher of the two rates, right? So how, how is this different than that? So that, that's, a, that's a great question. You know, with, within the states, um, these, uh, uh, I think they're the throwback or throwout rules um, that you're talking about. It's it's a it's not too different from that, uh, except that if this is something, you know, within the states we don't have trade barriers, we don't have right. these borders that you have to, you know, like you know check your goods at the border and customs duties and all of those things, and we're a really integrated market, and that's a pretty powerful strength for the United States for businesses operating within the United States. When you're talking at the international level. You're talking about this minimum tax, this you know cross-border minimum tax, in addition to other trade barriers, other customs duties, other you know registration and business uh, um, location decisions, that I think eventually puts multinationals at a disadvantage on the global scale relative to, you know maybe maybe at the end of the day a you know multinational company says. You know who cares about doing business in all these different countries? I'm going to do business here, and we're just going to contract out separately um, to these different countries. Let me ask one final question. Uh, uh, one final question that has nothing to do with global per se, but it's in this tax bill, um, this new bill, the infrastructure bill, and that is the uh, proposed elimination of tax incentives for oil and gas. Now, historically, oil and gas has received huge development incentives from a national defense, national security point of view that we want to be producing our oil. We don't want to be, you know, we don't want to rely on um, Iraq and Iran and Saudi Arabia, et cetera, for oil. And so we want to produce our own. And in this bill, um, just like his, uh, his um, the, the President Obama tried to do this for eight years, he tried to get rid of the oil and gas incentives. Uh, in this bill, this bill would get rid of the oil and gas incentives. Uh, any thoughts on, on that? I have my own thoughts, but any thoughts on, on what that would do as far as our competitiveness goes with the rest of the world? So I think it would certainly increase the tax burden on doing oil and gas exploration and extraction here in the U.S. That's pretty clear. Um, one thing with something like oil and gas, the natural resources sector, is those businesses kind of have to go where the resources are. Um, so even though you're raising taxes on them here in the US, that doesn't mean that the resources aren't there still in the ground for them to extract. It's a, it's a, it's a competitiveness issue because we're not the only place in the world where you can get the oil out of the ground, um, but the, the resources are still there. What I think when I see this in the bill and I or in the proposal, I think two things generally about the proposal is that while it seems, and I think President Biden would feel this way, that he's being very bold and very strong and proposing new and innovative policies or whatever and really pushing an agenda, is that he's kind of missing the point from a tax policy standpoint. 
Um, and there's wide disagreement on whether these things would actually be sellable in a US political environment. But Secretary Yellen's speech the other day talked about the corporate tax in the context of a stable and sustainable uh, tax base for the US. And corporate taxes, corporate profits are volatile. Everybody knows this. Different business cycles, they're going to go up and down and all around. And you're going to run into sustainable revenue issues, regardless of where you are in the world, because corporate ta taxes are volatile. If they wanted a stable and sustainable revenue base, why not propose a federal value added tax? Um, and if you wanted like really strong environmental uh, effects or something like that, why not propose a carbon tax? And to me, like, again, I think there's real political challenges there, but they're trying to be bold in one sense and missing the point um, kind of completely. Um, and it's kind of surprising to me uh, that they're talking about these things in the way that they are as if they're going to have the effects that they want. When in fact, other tax tools would have those effects and let's, you know, they're kind of avoiding that kind of difficult conversation. As you know, financial education is critical when it comes to creating wealth, passive income, and saving on taxes. Gain expert knowledge as Marco Santorelli shares valuable insights and proven strategies for making money with real estate on the Passive Real Estate Investing Podcast. Over the last five years, his guests have included Robert Kiyosaki, Mark Victor Hansen, Garrett Sutton, Brendan Burchard, Jim Rogers, and yours truly, Tom Wheelwright, just to name a few. If you're a busy person looking for actionable advice on the road to financial freedom, then this is the podcast for you. Available on every podcast platform or simply visit PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com. That's PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com. All right. Well, this has been a lot to, um, <laughs> to, to get, to, to get out there and to get on the table. I encourage everybody, um, you know, watch this, listen to it over and over again, uh, because there's a lot in here, um, to, to basically unpackage. So let me ask you, um, one last question. We're very, you know, our people are very practical, right? Our listeners, they're investors, they're business owners. What do you do? I mean, when, when you've got this and, and my issue with the, with a lot, all these uh, corporate tax proposals, this actually destabilizes our situation because we, no corporation believes that they can rely on whatever the tax system is, it's gonna be the same from year to year to year to year. And right. I think that's a, personally, I think that's an enormous challenge vis-a-vis -vis the rest of the world because people invest in a country where the laws and the government is stable. And if our laws aren't stable because uh, we whipsaw and uh, like this last, uh, we just recently, right? They passed this right. uh, new rule in, uh, in the Senate where they can amend the budget reconciliation as many times they want. So basically they've eliminated the filibuster when it comes to taxes. Um, uh, at least that's my take on it. Sure. Uh, what, what, do we, what does the average person do? What does the average investor, the average business owner do given what's going on right now? I, I don't have great advice. If I had the answer to that question, um, you know, I'd be I'd be making money like you do, Tom. Um, but the uh, the thing is, I I think the important thing is to be able to have scenario planning. And this is this is a challenge for everybody. You know, it's almost as challenge as simple compliance with the existing law. But being able to plan out for various scenarios, you know, uh, having worked in Congress and seeing bills go from presidential proposal to, you know, enacted in law, there's a lot of variance between those two. And we've already seen different members of Congress come out and say, yeah, I don't know if the rate's going to go quite that high or if I'm comfortable with that. And it be, being able to come, you know, with whatever investment decision, 
to have scenarios planned out, you know, global minimum rate at 21%, global minimum rate at 15%, something like that, or be able to say corporate rate at 28 or 25. You know, there are other pieces of the law that are, like you're talking about, unstable. Um, will expensing for, you know, plant and equipment continue? Uh, will uh, this, uh, the treatment of R&D continue as it is? Um, a lot of questions, and I think scenario planning is the best advice I have. No, I, I appreciate the, that. So, uh, yeah, not, not real stable right now, but there is planning to do. And I think the most important thing we can do, uh, frankly, is to continue to listen to people like you and, uh, you know, go to the taxfoundation.org because, uh, frankly, I think it's a, you guys just have an enormous amount of information there so that we can constantly follow this. Um, of course, the other thing to remember is, is that this is phase one. Okay, right. and there's at least one more phase coming, which is individual tax rates. Um, I'm sure we'll have somebody from the Tax Foundation back when that proposal comes out, because my guess is I thought that one of the reasons, uh, one of the benefits they think they're going to get out of raising the corporate tax rate is uh, the ability to raise the individual rate, particularly for small businesses, uh, where we might lose the 20% deduction, at least if you make over for the magic $400,000 a year. So let's just continue to watch this. Let's uh, pay attention. Um, let's plan accordingly the best we can. But like, like Daniel saying, you know, the more scenarios we can, because we, we, I expect we're going to get an increase in corporate tax rates. Is that fair, Daniel? We're going to get an increase in corporate tax rates. I think so. I think so. Yeah. So, yeah. so 25%, Joe Manchin's already said, West Virginia said he's okay with 25%. You know, there's going to be some changes to all the international rules. Uh, those who don't work internationally aren't going to be affected uh, directly in their business by that. Uh, just, you know, the indirect effects, of course, of increase in prices and, and uh, decrease in dividends, et cetera. But with that, once we get those different scenarios and we plan on a 25%, maybe a, a reduction in that 20% deduction, then, uh, then we can do some real tax planning. And, you know, when... Um, um, we do real tax planning, uh, life uh, gets a lot better because we pay a lot less tax. So, um, Daniel, any final words? No, thank you so much, Tom. This has been really great dis discussion. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, Daniel. Taxfoundation.org um, is uh, where to find Daniel and his entire team of uh, tax uh, professionals and big think tankers. And uh, it's, it's just a, a tremendous resource. So I'm, I'm just a big, big proponent of what, uh, what you guys do there. Um, thank you so much thank for you. being on. Remember everyone, when we, when we get educated and we get start planning scenarios, like Daniel says, and we, we get this and we're, we get ahead of the game, we're always gonna make way more money and pay way less tax. See you next time. You've been listening to The Wealth Ability Show with Tom Wheelwright. Way more money, way less taxes. To learn more, go to wealthability.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.